Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Today, we're going to talk about what makes a good written policy. But first, I want to encourage everybody once again, as I always do, to please subscribe, subscribe, subscribe if you haven't already to our podcast. Uh, please also, uh, if you are on iTunes, take the time to review our podcast and give your thoughts. And please contact us. You can find us at compliancebeat.com and send us an email. Or you can email me directly at eric at moreheadconsulting.com. If you've got any questions, if you'd like to see us cover a particular topic in the podcast in the future, we'd really just like to hear from you. So please to do take the time to do that if you find this podcast helpful and enjoyable. I'd also like to mention that, uh, once again, uh, that there will be a live webinar on February the 28th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, going for about an hour and 15 or hour and a half called Updating Your Code of Conduct Best Practices. This is with the Clear Law Institute. That's clearlawinstitute, one word, dot com. The uh, links will be in the show notes for this podcast. If you uh, need CLE credits for your uh, law license or if you need to get CCB credits for your CCEP certification, you can get the uh, an hour and a half uh, through listening to us talk about code of conduct on the 28th. So please join us. Again, the links will be in the show notes for this podcast. If you're looking uh, for one of the free webinars that uh, we regularly put on, we're getting ready to schedule one for March. Uh, so look out for information on that coming soon. Hopefully by next week, by the next podcast, I'll be able to give you some details about that upcoming free webinar. So with no further ado, I wanted to talk a little bit today about what makes a good written policy. We all know that in the U.S. Sentencing Guidelines standards and various other pieces of guidance that we've seen from the Department of Justice and, and elsewhere over the years, uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, written standards. And generally speaking, certainly in the Sentencing Guidelines and in a lot of the other guidance, we talk a lot about code of conduct, and I'm going to be talking a lot about a code of conduct uh, in this upcoming webinar. But that's not the extent of written standards. Uh, written standards include all of your policies, procedures, other written documents, guidance documents that might be out there regarding compliance issues in the compliance program. So uh, when you're considering the effectiveness of your program overall, uh, and, and specifically drilling down and looking at written standards, while having the code of conduct in the best possible shape is very important, can't neglect your standalone policies and other written standards. And so I want to talk a little bit about what makes a good written policy. I see a lot of organizations over the last few years, particularly the last, say, two to three years, starting to take a hard look at their written policies. Now, uh, when you work on your written policies, uh, or, or you endeavor to make changes to your written policies, this can sometimes even, uh, I think it's good to tackle the policies after you've already tackled the code of conduct because the code of conduct is uh, a little bit easier, pro a little bit easier problem to solve usually. Uh, there are some logistical issues, to say the least, when you're talking about the written policies. There are a lot of different owners, a lot of different stakeholders, perhaps uh, a multitude more 
um, subject matter experts and stakeholders with what you would characterize as ownership, if you will, over the standalone policy. So there are some politics involved. Uh, certainly there are politics involved in, in a code of conduct update, but but, but I, I think it's fair to say there can sometimes be more politics involved in uh, encouraging people to take a different direction with written policies. So that there's that whole aspect of it that makes it a more daunting and difficult endeavor. The second is the, the size. Uh, when you talk about the standalone policies that your organization has with regard to compliance or compliance-related issues, risk topics, it's going to be much larger than the universe of a code of conduct in almost every case. Uh, there are some organizations that have uh, very few uh, global or top-level policies, but they're few and far between. So, so the second hurdle that you have to overcome here is getting your arms around the universe involved in uh, attacking policies and, and revising policies. Those two things in particular make it more logistically difficult to undertake this project. The good news, however, is, and this is why I suggested a minute ago that it's good to have gone through a code of conduct project first, is you can apply a lot of the valuable knowledge and skills you've developed in a code of conduct project uh, directly to improving your uh, standalone policies. Uh, philosophically, there should be no difference in the intent and, uh, and, and, the, and the goal of a standalone policy from your code of conduct. It's to impart knowledge uh, to the reader about a certain risk topic and the controls you have in place and the expectations you have uh, for their behavior. So the one thing you have going for you if you've gone through a code of conduct revision is you know what the product ought to look like when you come out the other end. It should look a lot more like codes of conduct do. Uh, I would say save probably not designed as we are designing codes of conduct these days. You're not going to put as much resources in the design of policies. But as far as the language goes, the organization, the accessibility, and by accessibility I don't mean just physical accessibility, but the accessibility of the content, that all needs to be very similar to the, the efforts that we make and that we've discussed uh, uh, previously here on this podcast and elsewhere about your code of conduct. The policies need to be written in plain language and understandable by the population. There's absolutely no point to writing a policy that only the policy writer understands. That is an exercise in futility. What we're trying to do with policies is, is provide guidance to the population about what the risks are, what our controls are, and what our expectations are. So if you have policies, as many organizations do, where the grade level of the English used in that policy is very high, where there's a lot of jargon, where there's confusing, confusing structure and organization, that is not an effective policy. And this can sometimes be, again, a, hur a hurdle that the compliance officer or whoever, whomever is responsible for this initiative has if you have these multiple stakeholders that I talked about at the top, is you've got to convince them that you know the way that we've written policies for the last 50 years is just not effective. And the proof is in the pudding. Pe people don't read these policies. They may uh, find themselves forced to dig through and try to find a nugget 
of knowledge or information in those policies uh, when they need to find that relevant information, but you don't find people really engaged with most of these documents. They're not engaging. They're written in legalese by lawyers like me, and they're not usually, um, uh, certainly not as engaging as we expect our code of conduct, for example, to be these days. So what makes a policy that's not like that? What makes a policy that's good? I think there are three things that I see in effective policies, organizations that have really gone through and either have completed the effort or are in the midst of uh, working on the effort to make their policies effective and interesting and accessible and useful. The first is consistency. One of the key things you will see with a lot of policies, whether those are top level or global uh, policies or policies throughout organizations, is that they're wide, wildly inconsistent in how they're organized, formatted, how they look. I think it's important to have some consistency. Now, the key is having the right kind of consistency. There are policies that are very consistent, and the consistency is around a very formalized structure. 1.1 will be the discussion of the definitions in this policy, the applicability of this policy to the certain populations of the org. It's very, very organized. I think there's a difference between consistency and, and over-organization. Over I think you want to be consistent in your format. You want to be consistent in how it looks. You want to use things like uh, your logo. Even in Microsoft Word format, even if you're not laying these documents out and spending a lot of design time on them, which I don't suggest that you need to, you can still have your logo, you can still have your colors, you can still make it branded so that it that it's clear that it's a, a policy of your organization. That's not hard to do. Uh, Microsoft Word is much more flexible these days on, on things like that than it was five, ten years ago. Uh, you can even do things like text boxes relatively easily, you know, to kind of uh, highlight uh, important information or definitions or lists or that sort of thing within a policy without laying it out and, you know, doing a full-on graphic design. So make sure you're availing yourself of, of those tools within Microsoft Word if that is the tool that you're using to, to draft these policies. But whatever it is, I think you need to be consistent. You need to try to do your best to, to make sure that all the policies kind of look the same, have the same feel, uh, you know, address the same issues, and have the same language. Just as we talk about having inclusive language these days in codes of conduct, uh, you know, the perfect example always being we and our versus you and the company, having inclusive language throughout your policies can, can also be effective in engaging the people who are reading those policies. So consistency is, is, is number one, and I think that's important. And remember, consistency and over-organization are not the same thing. <laughs> uh, second, I would say uh, an important aspect to, to, have, to, ha to having good policies is simplicity. Simplicity of language. Shortness. <laughs> uh, having a, co a, a code of conduct that is, uh, instead of 30,000 words, more like eight to 10,000 words is where we're, we're headed with codes of conduct. And policies that, you know, typically, I've seen policies on concepts such as, let's just use anti-corruption because that's always an easy example. That's one that many people are familiar with. I've seen uh, policies on anti-corruption that have literally been 25, 30 pages long. I've also seen really effective, direct, and useful anti-corruption, anti-bribery policies that were 
eight pages long or six pages long. They covered the same amount of content. They covered the same important aspects. They just did it in a much more sim simple and concise and effective way. There's no reason why these policies have to be legal treatises. There's no reason why, for example, your, your uh, anti-corruption policy should have any kind of lengthy historical discussion about the FCPA and the various other legal regimes we see around the world. You need to discuss what your policy is, what your expectations are, what your controls are. It's not necessary to have these policies be overly long. And again, I've already mentioned a couple of times, there's no reason why the language of these policies should differ so dramatically from the language we now expect for our code of conduct. What's the purpose of these written policies? Well, there's several purposes, but I think first and foremost is imparting knowledge. Isn't that what we're trying to do here? Aren't we trying to reach the population and make sure they understand what our expectations are for them and for the organization and what the controls are and what the risks that they face are? Well, if we're trying to communicate to them, we need to communicate to them in an effective way. That's usually more simple language, less legalese, not being overly complex in organization or language. It's important. And you don't lose anything because you know one of the other important aspects of having a policy is let's be honest I, you know I, I am as always a uh, by nature a glass half empty former criminal defense attorney so I understand the importance of CYA I understand the importance of covering your bases and making sure that you have appropriate coverage in your written policies that show that you take these things seriously and that you understand the risks you can do that in simple language you don't have to make it overly complex. If it's overly complex, it may serve the purpose of proving to a, litig uh, a litigator down the road or a regulator down the road that you understand the topic, that you, the lawyer, understands the topic, that the compliance officer understands the topic, but that doesn't go very far down the road in showing that the population of your organization understand the topic. So keep it simple. That's number two. And then the last thing, uh, which I've already mentioned a couple of times already, which I think is really key to having a policy that is really effective and works well. And that's accessibility. And accessibility through language and accessibility using, th using some very basic things that you can, for instance, again, use in Microsoft Word. You know, highlighting important definitions, uh, putting text boxes around short lists. You know, a perfect example would be when you're talking about uh, the kinds of uh, gifts uh, or, or the type of hospitality that uh, your employees are not to accept, that's going to be a laundry list of probably eight to ten things. Well, that's perfect to put in a bulleted list and then put it in a text box with an alternating color and put it in the margin of the document. You don't need to lay it out in, in Adobe to do that. You can do that in Microsoft Word. And you should take advantage of those tools to try to better communicate to your population about these important aspects. It doesn't take a whole lot of extra work. And if you aren't, don't feel technically capable to do that, and let me tell you, if this dumb lawyer can figure it out, you can figure it out. But if you don't feel technically capable, I'm sure you can find resources within your organization that are comfortable with those tools and they can help you out.
And since you're going to be making these policies so much shorter than they were already, you have the time to do that. It's really important to try to make the policies useful. You should be able to flip through a six to eight page policy, see some highlighted aspects, some lists, some definitions, some call out boxes on you know half those pages that are going to highlight the salient points that you're trying to get across to the population. For instance, again, using gifts. If you have uh, gift limits or and certain approvals that people have to go through to accept and or give gifts, that works perfectly in a table. It's really easy to put a table in Microsoft Word. It's not hard, I, I promise you. If you haven't tried it before, dip your toe in. It's important. It's a lot easier to explain this stuff as visually as you can, even within a Microsoft Word document. So those are three things that I think are really, really important and really can help make your written standalone policies, your compliance policies, sing. A lot of the discussion we've had in the past on this podcast and that I've, uh, if you've happened to have seen me speak live or listen to one of my webinars, or if you're planning on attending the webinar on February 28th on Code of Conduct, a lot of those same tools and in, in, in the process that we talk about there in developing a Code of Conduct, it applies to standalone policies. The purpose of these standalone policies is no different from the Code of Conduct ultimately. That's why, by the way, that the sentencing guidelines and every other standard that we look to doesn't differentiate between a written standalone anti-corruption policy and the code of conduct. They're all written standards. They're all put together. The expectations are the same. I feel like this is a harder road to go because as I said, there, there's such a much there's a much larger universe of material typically, and you've got a different set of stakeholders. And you're gonna have some very possessive lawyers holding on, holding these documents close to their heart because they spent so much time and put so much of themselves in uh, writing the legal history of uh, the antitrust statute in their uh, antitrust policy that's 45 pages long. But you've got to talk some sense to them. You've got to talk them off the ledge and make sure they understand that that is really impressive and makes a great law review article, but it doesn't communicate the important aspects of the risk to the population you're trying to reach. It just doesn't. So consistency, simplicity, accessibility. Drum it into their heads, get them to march along with you and fix your policies. You can do it. I've seen a lot of organizations tackle it over the last few years with some great success. Uh, don't be daunted. I think that you'll find that uh, once you get a process in place, it can be uh, very fulfilling to go through that and, and, f and, and really create a, a group of policies that, that are fit for purpose. So thanks again. Uh, please join us on the 28th for our webinar. And otherwise, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.